Good stuff. Hello, everyone. My name's Steph. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, we're gonna be, we are looking at um, the subject of grace over the five weeks. This is the third week, and we're particularly looking at the letters of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And um, something that I haven't said up till this point um, as we look in Timothy is that um, the relationship between the man who wrote the letter to Timothy, Paul, and to the recipient, Timothy, is one of what we might call a spiritual parenthood. Um, Paul uh, met Timothy on his travels, was impressed by him, was impressed by his earnest and sincere faith. He was well spoken of. And so what Paul did was that he took him under his wing and then Timothy went on his travels with him to various places and, and would go to churches to represent him, Paul. When Paul couldn't get there, he would go on his behalf. And the context of Paul writing to Timothy is that Timothy's in Ephesus, where he's representing Paul. He's straightening out some things that have got a little bit out of line. And his role there really is to establish a good, strong local leadership so that Timothy can then move on and go wherever else he needs to go for Paul. So Paul's writing to Timothy to encourage him and to, uh, and to strengthen him in his task. But Paul has apprenticed Timothy. Paul has discipled him. Paul has poured himself into him. He's put his stamp on him. Uh, and Timothy is a true son uh, in the Lord. Now, it's also worth knowing, however, that Timothy seems to have been someone that we wouldn't call a natural leader. He definitely wasn't an alpha male. You can gather as much through the two letters to Timothy. If you, if you read through it, um, you don't even have to read between the lines. There are some comments that come that help us understand that Timothy and Paul were very different people. Paul was a natural leader. Wherever you put Paul, he would have been a leader. Before he was a Christian, he was excelling above all his um, contemporaries. He was looked well upon. He was an influential uh, man. He was one of those people. You know those people, wherever you put them, they lead. That's Paul. Not so with Timothy. We know a few things about Timothy. Paul has to remind him not to be timid. Paul has to remind him not to let people look down on him because of his comparative youth. Paul has to exhort him to fan into flame the gift that God has given him and not allow it to grow dormant. He also seems to have been frequently ill with stomach problems, which is why Paul writes to him to advise him not to just drink water, but also to drink wine. Timothy, frankly, is not a naturally impressive man. Um, he would not have made it into the world's top 100 of influential and powerful people. Timothy shows us that God calls and anoints normal people. And, and God calls normal people into leadership as well. It's really important. If you go to a church and everyone who's leading are natural leaders, you need to start scratching your head and say, something's wrong with this place. There should be a diversity of temperament and personality in the leaders. There should be those who are clearly nat natural leaders. There's nothing wrong with that. But there should be those whom God has just called to lead, regardless of their temperament. Because that's, that's, that's how the church works. It's a, it's a mixture of diverse people that God calls and who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Some of whom have loads of natural gifts, others of whom are not so naturally well endowed. Now we're going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 15 down to chapter 2 the end of verse 2. So if you have a Bible with you, it's going to come up on the screen, but it's, it's good if you've got a Bible with you to turn there. You learn to find your way around the Bible. Um, uh, if it's made of paper, of course. If it's electric, you just tap in the reference. I know that. But anyway, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are 
Phygelus and Hermogenes. So Paul has been deserted. Paul was traveling with people as he often did and all who were in Asia turned away from him. There, these things happen in the Christian life. There are these sad moments where those who were traveling with you and you were journeying together with Christ, doing the work of God, change their mind. Something happens, who knows, disappointment, bitterness, the lure of the world, and they're no longer around. Paul's very honest about this and the pain that this causes. They turned away from me. He's in prison. He's alone. It's not, it's not an easy situation. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and wasn't ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, which is where Paul was imprisoned, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know there's all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So Paul's in prison alone in Rome. Um, you wouldn't be given food and the like in, in those kinds of prisons. You, you got food when your relatives and friends came and visited with food. Very different kind of prison experience. Um, and he's thankful to this, this man who didn't turn away, but quite the opposite, searched him out to bless him. You then, my child, here we go, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I'll read that again. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Father, thank you for these words. I want to pray for a move of your Holy Spirit as they are preached. I want to pray you'd grip our souls, Lord, with your truth and we would find ourselves freshly being breathed into and coming alive for your glory. Amen. Amen. He looks Timothy in the eye, spoken about these guys that have turned away, spoken about this other guy who's found him out. He looks Timothy in the eye. He recognises in the sincerity of his faith, which he mentions at the start of the letter. And he says to him, I want you now to be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Maybe a better word than strengthen would be empowered. That's, if you look at the meaning of the word, there's this sense of being empowered by what? By the grace that is in Christ Jesus so that you may be able to stand, but then you may be able to pass on robustly and faithfully this message to others, faithful others who can then pass it on to others. That's how this thing moves forward. We are empowered by the grace that's in Jesus. We overflow and share that with others who then faithfully pass it on to others. And then at some point, Jesus returns and takes all those who have received this message to be with him. Hallelujah. But you know, Timothy is not someone who will naturally do well here. He may be very tempted to shrink back from the difficulties of the Christian life, from the rigours. He might be naturally be someone who just thinks, I haven't got what it takes to do this. He may naturally more find a corner and try and survive somewhere. Sound familiar? See, so if you just hold up, maybe Jesus will come. He's going to have to learn how to walk in spiritual power. And Paul gives him one of the keys here. Understand the grace that's in Jesus. And let, let that empower you. This word, this, this word strengthened or empowered, we find it uh, four other times in, in the New Testament. You find it in Acts 9, verse 22, where the Apostle Paul has recently come to know Jesus. And we are told in Acts 9, verse 22, this, we are told that, 
he increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This man had become so empowered by the grace of God, so empowered by the gospel that he is speaking in such a way that all of those who previously would have opposed the message, they're confounded. They don't know what to say. He's proving Jesus is the Christ. You say, how do you prove Jesus is the Christ? Here's what you do. You speak in the power of the Holy Spirit. You speak in such a way that, that the compelling truth of this message cannot be argued against. It's supernatural. He's been so strengthened by the gospel that in the book of Romans, we're told about Abraham. Now, Abraham's been promised he's going to have a lot of children, as many as the stars in the sky. He's very old. His wife is very old. They've never been able to have children. We're told that he looks on at the situation. He takes it into account. Then he looks at God and God's promise. And we are told in Romans 4 verse 20 that no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He looked at the situation soberly. He assessed it. This is never going to happen. Then he looked at God and God promised, yes, it is. Then he looked again. It's never going to happen. He looked at God who is faithful and can do all things. And instead of wavering in unbelief, he grew strong. He was empowered in faith. And God did it. That's why we're in the room. <laughs> did God do it? Yes, yeah, why you're in the room. If God hadn't done it, you wouldn't be in the room. We are the offspring of Abraham. You find it in Ephesians 6 verse 10 where Paul is trying to equip the Ephesians there in, in Christian warfare. He's saying this thing is real. You've got opposition. There are dark forces that are against us. And so he says, finally, he says to them, be strong, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be empowered in the Lord and the strength of His might. He's saying you can win. You can win against every foe, every enemy, every attack. You can win. How? Be strong in the Lord and the strength the power, the strength of his power. And then finally, in Philippians 4, verse 13, the same man, Paul, he's talking about his journey, his journey towards contentment. Perhaps one of the most, one of the most difficult journeys any human can make to get to the point where he can say, I, can be, I am content in all circumstances, whether I have plenty or whether I have nothing. That's, that takes power. Yeah. And he talks about his journey. He says, I've learned the secret of being content. It wasn't something he just got overnight. He's learned the secret. And, and, he said, and, and the secret is summed up in verse 13 where he says this, I can do all things through Christ who empowers me. This is, this is, and this is the same word that Paul says here to Timothy. Be strong, be empowered in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So whether it's being bold in witness, whether it's standing strong in the promises during times of unanswered prayer, whether it's standing firm against Satan's attacks, whether it's learning the secret of being content, there is this empowering that we read about in the New Testament. And the, the, the early Christians, I want to say this to you, they knew nothing of the gentle breeze of the Holy Spirit. They knew the mighty rushing wind. That, they were baptized, that's, that's the Christianity they were baptised into. They'd been with Jesus and now they're waiting for the Spirit to come and He comes like a mighty rushing wind. So much that the noise is so loud that they gather from all around the city to come and hear this noise. What is going on here? There's power, friends, in the Holy Spirit. Power. Power to, to, to be what you could never be. Power to do what you could never do. The whole time whilst living as a jar of clay, whilst remaining normal and human. I'm not declaring some kind of bizarre triumphalism here. I, I am talking about the power of God manifest in normal human lives. 
We don't suddenly go all weird and all strange and all like, oh no, I never have difficulty. We know that life is full of pressures, full of challenges. We're jars of clay, we feel it. But through it, we encounter the power of God. We grow strong, grow stronger and stronger. That's biblical Christianity. It's very inspiring. Now, Paul is saying that in Jesus, there is this grace. In Jesus, there is this favour that brings such power into our lives. It brings such energy. It's, it's like a force. It's like an unstoppable force. Uh, David experienced it. Listen to David in the Psalms, in, in Psalm 18. This is what it's like. Um, extraordinary language that he uses to really bring home what it's like to know the power of God. Psalm 18, verse 29 says this. says, For by you I can run against an army. By my God, I can leap over a wall. And we're not talking, oh, we're not talking a wall like that high. We're talking proper, proper military city wall here. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. He set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You've given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand supported me in your gentleness, made me great. He goes on and on and on. David knew the grace of God. David's life, he'd been apprehended by the favour of God, the undeserved favour of God. And we're told that that as as, um, Samuel came and anointed him with oil, we're told that the Spirit of God rushed upon him. Rushed upon him. And so we see someone who, wherever he goes, he changes the atmosphere. Why? Because he knows God. He's encountered the Holy Spirit. It's very powerful. It's very powerful. It, 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 people are confounded by it because it's surprising and it's supernatural. It's not it's just a state of mind. It's not a placebo. It's not just like, come on, think about this enough and you know, think positive. It's not that. It's heaven touching earth. It's the presence of God at work inside the life of a human being. This is what the grace that's in Jesus does. Paul is saying to Timothy, if you let it, Jesus will make you beyond who you are naturally. You'll still be Timothy. And in fact, Timothy, your weakness will probably make you endearing to others and people will be able to relate to you because they see themselves in you. But you know what? You won't be held in a corner. You won't spend your life just trying to survive and trying to cope. You'll overcome. You'll know what it is to experience overcoming. This overcoming theme is huge in the Bible, isn't it? Grace that God gives us enables us to overcome. There's this energy that comes with grace. Did you know that? Some people think, oh, I don't like all this talk of grace because it might leave us just kind of passive because it's all about what God does. The Bible teaches that grace gives an energy that is extraordinary. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, Paul says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace given to me was not without effect. In fact, I worked harder than all of the other apostles, though not me, but the grace of God within me. You think, what is this? He says, grace has empowered me to do extraordinary sacrificial things, to go way above and over the call of duty. It's what grace does. When you get it, when you understand the favour of God is on your life in Jesus, when you understand you really are forgiven. Did you know that? Do you, know, you, know, you know you can forgive and then you can forgive. Family life is how it works. One of your kids is naughty to the other kid, right? And it all comes out and says, you've got to forgive them. And they go, forgive you. It doesn't bring life, really, does it? Let's face it. it doesn't, the other one on the receiving end of that doesn't feel like, oh, wow. That's kind of forgiveness, in quotes, right? God does not know how to forgive like that. This is why forgiveness is so hard for God. Because when he forgives, he forgives. Right? This is why it cost him so much, the death of his son. Because he's not just going to say some token, I forgive you. He's going to forgive you. 
In Jesus Christ, you know what? God forgives you. Why? Because his son has taken the punishment for your sin. So you are forgiven. And when you are forgiven by God, do you know what? You are forgiven by God. It's not just not forgive you. It is embrace, it is pursue, it is you are now, you're in. It's, it's like the, the parable of the prodigal son where this shame-filled son comes back and, and, and the father runs towards him and he's given him gifts and it's too much, frankly. It's over the top. That's the forgiveness that God brings. When you understand that, I tell you it's empowering. I tell you it's energising. I tell you, you want to you go and jump over some walls and run at some armies. Why? Because you think this is extraordinary. This, I'm really forgiven. Wow. Wow. That's what we're talking about here. You know, those early church leaders, the officials didn't know what to do with them. The religious officials did not know what to do with them because they spoke with such boldness. They spoke with such fearlessness. And, and it says in the Bible, this says that they considered that these were untrained and uneducated men, but they took note of this, of what? Well, they've been with Jesus. That's what they, these, we remember these guys, they were with Jesus. Only that can explain this, that his presence now still lives in them by the Spirit. Untrained, uneducated, unimpressive. You find it all the way through the Bible. It's not that being impressive is wrong. It's not that being educated is wrong or trained is wrong. That's not the foundation. Foundation is indwelling Holy Spirit. Brings everything to life. Brings everything to life. Now there's another phrase that crops up in the Bible which also shows us the key to our strength. So we've got grace and strength, but there's another phrase that crops up about strength. Who knows what it is? Very famous from Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you know that one? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, there's a link here, you see, between joy and grace. Let's talk about joy for a moment, just so we get it straight in our head. Um, the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's nothing like joy, is there? to bring energy and power to your whole being. There's nothing like joy. It will transform you in a moment. A bit of joy can transform a weary soul, a soul that seems to have no life in it. On the brink of exhaustion and collapse and everything looks like everything's flatlining, right? You think, oh. When joy comes, there's this instant transformation. There's this energy, there's this expression, there's this, there's this tumult, there's this noise. Joy has a way of overflowing and bubbling out. Joy must be expressed. Do you know that? I'm never convinced by those people who say, ah, oh, yes, but we, we mustn't confuse joy for happiness. I'm, I'm always a bit confused by those people and those statements. I've never heard such nonsense. I've, I, I, I've never heard such nonsense and I've pondered it a bit over the years. These people would have us believe that joy has more in common with sadness than happiness. By what they say, I can only imagine that's what they mean. It's a ridiculous proposition. Maybe they're trying to suggest that we mustn't confuse the joy of the Lord with just passing worldly pleasures. And obviously, I'm all, I'm all there on that. Absolutely, we agree. But to try and extract joy from happiness and still be left with joy, it's like trying to extract the life out of London and still have London. It's like, well, what, how, can you, how can you separate these things? Joy is joy, for goodness sake. Joy is joy. Joy must express itself in happiness. Joy is peace dancing. Joy must move. Joy must overflow. Joy must enjoy itself. Joy must sing. Joy must dance. We mustn't excuse our lack of joy by redefining it and pretending that our dull, tired, negative state of mind is in fact the joy of the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord. It looks, looks a bit different, but it's the joy of the Lord. 
God save us from this lunacy. Joy is joy. Joy is joy. And when we're not joyful, let's not try and pretend we are and redefine it. Let's say, Lord, help me out. I'm being in misery. We're so quick to defend ourselves, aren't we? Say, Lord, I'm just being in absolute misery. One of my children is great on this. The other day, their, their attitude was just all wrong. And I said, what's going on? And he, look, <laughs> he, she, <laughs> he spoke, she, uh, looked at me. It was a wonderful moment. Just said, I'm being grumpy. <laughs> it was like, great. Now we can do some work on that. Shake it off and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's uh, my parental counsel. But um, very deep, very, very deep. But there is this saying, do you know what? I'm just being a misery. I'm just, being, I'm just being negative. I'm just being a misery. I'm just, you know what? Amen. It's true. Joy, joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, so we've, got to, we've got to learn how to rejoice. I mean, what a wonderful thing that we're commanded to rejoice as Christians. You think, please don't have an issue with that. Please be amazed at the kind of commands your God gives you. Be happy. Okay, it's part of our obedience. It's wonderful, isn't it? Learning that part of the Christian journey is learning how to rejoice in God. Learning, learning how to live a joy-filled life. Wow. The, jo- the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Second on the list, joy. Joy that expresses, joy that dances, joy that sings, joy that enjoys, joy that delights. Praise the Lord. Now let's look at the link together between grace and joy. Because what are the things that make us so sad? What are the things that drain us of power, that make us so weak? Well, they're manifold, aren't they? Guilt. Weighed down. We get so weighed down, it weakens us. Hold on a minute. Hold on just a minute now. Hold on a minute. Surely we know, of all people, what to do with guilt. Those of us that are Christians. I remember speaking once to someone at at Rev and they'd been through such an awful, such an awful situation at work. Really, genuinely bad. And their line of work was not, you know, like someone got upset. It was life and death stuff. And they'd made a mistake and the results had been bad. Really bad. And they're just talking and it's all coming out. And then right in the middle of it, they just started to speak about how they had applied the gospel right into the heart of their guilt, despair, brokenness, sense of what have I done, that actually I made a mistake here and it resulted in that. But Jesus took my sin. And the way that they brought and dragged the gospel right into the heart of that and found relief from that despair was extraordinary. And you think, that's the power of the gospel. That is the power of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we've got to learn to do this because it's not just that we're sinful and we make mistakes. We all do, but we've got an accuser. We've got one that will accuse our conscience and mind day and night. He won't stop and he won't play fair. So if we don't learn how to stand, to stand at the foot of the cross and say, most of these accusations have got some grounds of truth in them, but do you know what? I've got a sin-bearing saviour. And his name is Jesus. And my whole confidence is is built on the fact that he bore my sin in his body on the tree and has gifted me with righteousness. And I know I don't deserve to be here, but that's the grace of God. And I won't think that in some way I'm being more spiritual by not letting the power of that impact me to the full. I will rejoice. I will stand. I I will let this break into every part of my mind and my heart so that my whole being is impacted by it. That's the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. Why should two people suffer for the same sin? Why? God will not punish the same sin twice. 
If he's taken your sin, he's taken your sin. This does, simply does not work for two people to suffer for the same sin. Is he your sin-bearing saviour? If he is, then let the burden of sin and guilt be taken from your shoulders and place them at the foot of the cross and walk away with his light burden and easy yoke. He will minister to your soul, empower you. You watch the energy that starts to flow, the power, the ability, the strength. Or maybe it's hopelessness. We look ahead and you see nothing good on the horizon or nothing on the horizon. You think, I don't know. And your heart grows heavy. But you know what? We can actually face our hopelessness, the apparent grey horizon ahead of us and dare to look beyond it. We can dare to embrace eternal life that begins in the here and now. You know, the Bible describes the one who sits on the throne as his appearance is like Jasper and Carnelian, these incredible precious stones with these wonderful colours. And he says that around the throne was like an emerald rainbow. If when you look on the horizon, does it look grey? Does it look grey? Why don't you look at the colour? The colour of heaven, the colour of your saviour break in to your mind and say, Lord, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. He's full of such magnificent splendour. There's no way his future for me would be grey. There's no way it would be monotone, but it would be filled with the splendour of heaven. And you hold on to that, particularly if the future's looking bleak. And you say, Lord, I want to be a man or woman of hope. You see, it's the gospel. It empowers you. You can get out of bed the next day. You can carry on. Or maybe it's anxiety. How are you going to pay the next bill? Let alone save up for anything that's ever going to enrich your life. Before the salary comes in, your overheads have already swallowed it up. And you think, where is this going? How, how's, how does this work? You know, we can face our anxieties. They could be financial, relational, situational. Jesus says, you're worth so much more than the sparrow. And your father feeds them. Every hair on your head is numbered. Every hair on your head is numbered. You are worth much more than the sparrow. Stop your fretting. That's no good. Who of you by fretting can add a single hour to their life or an inch to their stature? <sighs> You've got me? Yeah, I've got you. But it's going to the wire. It normally does. You just look on the wilderness. God's, God's there, they're moaning, they're complaining. He says, haven't you learnt my ways yet? Haven't you learnt my ways? What are God's ways? He takes you to the wire. Take, why? Because he wants you to learn to trust him. Just, just, just go to the wire. Learn, learn it. Don't, 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 you haven't got to create your own safety zones. He's got you. You're in his hands. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Hallelujah. Or maybe it's fear of man. You're squeezed and pressed by the demands of others over your life. Forget who you even truly are. So busy serving the inappropriate expectations of others. Do you know what? Grace can so empower you in that. This strange sense that we're somehow captive to the fashions of the age or to the whims of the culture makers or to the ridiculous commands of insecure bosses or to the manipulative requirements of out-of-kilter flatmates or the petty jealousies of even immature spouses. We can say, hold on a second. Hold on a second. What is this? To whom will I give my final account? Who do I stand before? Hold on a minute. To whom am I ultimately answerable? The Lord is my helper. What shall man do to me? Hebrews 13 verse 6. The Lord is my helper. What shall man do to me? And the power of heaven 
built on the foundation of grace will flood your soul and lift your horizon. Hallelujah. He is magnificent. He is kind. He is empowering. He's full of grace. He strengthens our arms, our legs, our hearts, our minds. This is why the good news gets the lame leaping and the deaf hearing and the blind seeing. It's the gospel. Amen and amen. And you may be here as a Timothy today. And you're thinking, I'm just so normal. Tell you what, let the Lord's hand come into your life. Let him relieve you from this burden of sin and guilt. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to him. Watch what he does. It's so extraordinary. He's got so much life. He's got so much power. He's so ready to take your life into his and, and, and make it what it never could be without him. He's so gracious. He's so kind. He's so full of largesse. He's wonderful. It's just the grace of God. Timothy, Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.